Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, my co-host, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, everybody? And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, gentlemen? Doing well. Today on the podcast, we are talking about predictions for this upcoming Celtics season. You can find us on Celtics Pride Pod on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe. Let's get into it, Josh. The first preseason game is in one week, December 15th, versus Philadelphia. 7.30 Eastern Time. You have some thoughts on preseason. Yeah, today is day four of group work where the team can do five-on-five drills. So we're just now getting really into it, right? Before that, it was four to five days of individual workouts. And our preseason game's only in one week. So it's like we, we play two preseason games and that's it. And then we get right to the regular season. So what this means is that the ramp-up time for this is only like two to three weeks. And I just want to remind you guys, remember six months ago when we were discussing how much time the NBA needed to come back from the shutdown and get guys ready to play in a bubble? I said we could get guys ready for games in two weeks, right? And that seemed ridiculous. But that's what this feels like right now. It's just incredibly fast. Um, I mean, not for the bottom feeder teams, right, who haven't played for nine months. I'm actually kind of excited to see them. Uh, But for us contenders, it is. And we've added this guy, Emil Jefferson, to uh, just a training camp contract, a former Duke wait, player. Wait, wait. Yeah. Wait, wait, we actually added him? I don't think that's official. I think that, in fact, reports are that we are not. So reports were that he was going to be added on an Exhibit 10 contract, which is basically something that is done to bring somebody into training camp and then place them on the G League roster, and they get a bonus because they were in training camp. Um, and it like, helps to identify specific people that you really want on your G League team but are, that are likely not to make the final roster. But because the main Red Claws are not going to be participating in the G League this year, I thought that they may not uh, do sign Emil Jefferson gotta, anymore. Got to keep up with the Celtics slack, Adam. It, is, it was not. Uh, mentioned earlier today that, that it is official. Jefferson has been signed to a non-guaranteed training camp deal. So uh, cool. we we proudly have Emil Jefferson, Jason Tatum's good friend from Duke, on the team in a non-guaranteed deal to Josh, as you were saying. <laughs> as I was saying, yeah. No, um, no, it's good, Adam, that you brought up the fact that from that first report of his Exhibit 10 or supposed Exhibit 10 contract, we then got reported that the G League was going to be canceled for several teams and the main Red Clause was one of them, right? So... Uh, now, even though we have this guy for for just the training camp, it kind of is it remains to be seen, you know, why we really picked him up. I guess, you know, in one sense, he rounds out three teams of five for training camp. If we want to do any drills or, or live action stuff with three teams of five, we now have that because we do have some players out with Tristan Thompson, Kemba Walker, and Romeo Langford. Um, and you know, it's not ideal for Evan Turner to to start his assistant coach tenure, having to run with guys. Uh, But um, it's an interesting signing nonetheless, because, you know, this is a super, super high academic guy. Yeah. He knows Jason Tatum from Duke and and we can kind of talk about what, what does it mean that we seem to be signing Tatum's friends? Um, But just culture wise, this guy fits. Um, I met him and watched him play at the Conshohocken tournament in, in high school, probably six, seven years ago now. Um, he played What's against the Concha Hawken tournament. It's a 
I guess a small time scouting event in, in New Jersey where all the, the top players from Philly and New Jersey end up. Um, and he was there, he played against, uh, in the championship game against Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, and I, and I got a chance to talk to him after the game and just a great head on his shoulders at a, at a really young age. Um, you know, and at that time he, he didn't display that he really couldn't make the leap, uh, in terms of his athleticism to the NBA game. He was, you know, a very dominant high school player. Uh, and since, you know, five years in college now, he was a fifth year senior at Duke. Now we know that he probably doesn't have the, the bounce or the upside um, as like a six, eight, four, five man. You know, he has no jump shot, uh, but just a great locker room guy, works really hard, has great footwork in the post, even though he's undersized, kind of a throwback type player and uh, perfect for the Celtics culture. What do you guys think about the fact that, you know, Peyton Pritchard, was on that USA team with Tatum and, you know, in, is in the same class as Tatum. Um, what do you guys think about the fact that we seem to be signing Tatum's friends? Well, just to, well, just to jump in on, on a final, uh, on, on Emil Jefferson. So he, I, I noticed that, that I think it was like November 29th, uh, Tatum posted a video of Jefferson uh, with some drop step moves, some pivot moves in the post and, and said, sign him. And then a few days later, the Celtics did. Uh, so that, I, that's I think that's really interesting. And and there was there's an article on on Celtics blog that talks about um, that connection and, and Tatum's uh, as they I think they said like as general manager jokingly so. But I think you do want to keep uh, somebody like Tatum happy. Um, Jefferson was a he was like number twenty three in coming out of high school in the country, um, and obviously hasn't. Uh, is not. I don't think he's a. He's not a, a real NBA player. Um, uh, especially if he can't develop a jump shot. He's already 27. He, like you said, Josh, he seems like a really smart guy. He overlapped with Tatum at Duke as a fifth-year senior while he was getting a master's degree. And I could not. I was looking hard to figure out what his master's in, but might as well stay at Duke. Uh, he had an, an injury. I want to say his junior year that allowed him to redshirt that year and get a fifth year, another year of eligibility. But um, yeah, you know, it's an end of the roster thing. Uh, I think Keith Smith mentioned that part of the reason they might have signed him was to um, to play a big role, uh, like a, a role as a big man in training camp because Tristan Thompson is going to be out with a hamstring injury. I don't want to make a big deal out of that, but those hammies can can linger. So I'm, I hope that they're going to take as much time with him as they need. And it sounds like he is going to miss a significant amount of time in camp. And it sounds like they want to limit Daniel Tice's uh, activity because he is coming off of off-season surgery. Okay, Mike? so, yeah, first of all, we've spent entirely too much time talking about a guy who's literally only going to be with the team for the next two weeks. So <laughs> you've signed to a non-guaranteed training camp deal. The season starts in two weeks. The second thing is when you say, Tristan Thompson is going to miss a quote-unquote significant amount of time in training camp. That means he's going to miss a week. Let's not overstate things here. Let's calm down. <laughs> like, um, okay, I think I, I think it's I think it's good. Uh, I, I mean, I'm all for uh, the Celtics doing things that have the potential to make Tatum happy. Um, you know, if we're we're recording this podcast on Monday evening after some reports are coming out about Harden, you know passive aggressively if not behind the scenes aggressive aggressively basically 
forcing his way out of Houston and creating a, a complete mess over there or or contributing to a complete mess over there. You know, it's a superstar driven league. It's important to uh, manage your team and your organization in a way that's strong for the organizational culture, but that also uh, supports your your superstars. And so, you know, tossing tossing this little uh, deal to to a meal um in a way that kind of shines a good light on on the Celtics from Tatum's perspective and all and you know presumably uh I'm for it but I feel like we've said more than enough on Emil Jefferson <laughs> uh, no but so the question is more about like are, are we pandering to Tatum right now like it feels like this is the kind of thing that you do when a play when you want to make sure a player doesn't leave you we, sign his friends and things like that this feels like we pandering. are terrified can, of him leaving because we signed him to the most favorable possible contract in his rookie extension. It's kind of absurd to give, you know, we have the opportunity to basically guarantee him $196 million. The fact that we had to, we felt like we had to kind of give on that and give an option, you know, a fifth year option suggests already where the power in that dynamic lay. Where, where Tatum, Tatum is calling the shots and we're doing what he says. You will recall with Gordon Hayward in Utah, they gave they negotiated hard with him on his extension, and he remembered that when he came here. Um, so I think it's the right move, and I see nothing wrong with that. It's the same thing that Milwaukee's been doing, signing Giannis's brother, um, and uh, I, I see nothing wrong with that. I, I was unaware that Peyton Pritchard and him, I knew they played on that um, on an Olympic, I think under 18 or something like that. Yeah, the together, USA I, team. I, I wasn't. You know are they on that friends? Team? Are they close? Who? Langford was on that team too. Okay. And I, Carson Edwards may have been. There was one other Celtic that was on that team as well. Where you know, we Danny Ainge's recruiting can now be expanded to top-ranked high school players and former U18 Team USA players. <laughs> and this could easily <laughs> and, and previously up. injured. This could easily just be Josh. talked up to, you know, we're, we're trying to get high academic guys. We're trying to get high character guys. And, and sometimes it's hard to tell where that line ends and this pandering thing begins, you know? Do you have, I mean, it sounded like it was kind of a rhetorical question on your part and you have a, a belief about it. No, is there it's not rhetorical. Um, is, do you guys see an issue with uh, or, or an impact of not having a G League season this year for, in terms of player development, having a place for injured players to go to get minutes, uh, whoever ends up on the very end of the bench, allowing them to get minutes, or potentially um, starting relationships with players who could become two-way contracts or uh, end-of-the-roster guys in the future? I, I mean... Look, I think when you're a well-run organization, you're able to take advantage of kind of any any kind of lane available to you. And I think the Celtics are are not an exception there, and they've they've done a good job using uh, their G League affiliate and um, you know building building the skills of certain players or or building the value of certain players so that they can include them in trades, things like that. So. Yeah, you lose a little bit. I don't think it's a real needle mover. I think it's probably beneficial to have Tremont Waters and Taco Fall able to kind of practice with the team through the season, though unclear how much practice time there actually will be right. in this crazy season. Um, but it's probably not not bad to have them around the around the team, and I bet we'll see them play more than we expect 
uh, because there, I think there's going to be a lot of health-related absences over the course of the season um, with with COVID. Yeah. So that that's going to be good for development. Uh, just one last thing, and and I'll, <laughs> I'll pause. But uh, you know, there was a press conference earlier today uh, where Brad Stevens you know, I think really hit the nail on the head where he says he really feels for the guys that are just on the cusp of making the NBA Yeah, that don't have that kind of opportunity as available to them as they would have. And I think he, you know, as he so often does when, when it comes to kind of taking a bigger picture perspective and bringing empathy to a situation, uh, I think, I think Steven's really nailed it on the head with that. And it's just, I, I think where the people that really lose out are those players on the fringe that are losing a really valuable opportunity and way of kind of showcasing their skills. Um, I think, I think they lose a whole lot more than the organization loses by not having that kind of vehicle available to kind of maybe build, you know, tr- my minor value at the margins um, for some select players. Yeah. For guys like taco and Tremont waters, it's always good to be able to get, you know, big minutes and to play a lot. But this is the type of season where we're going to need them around, I think. So I agree with you on that, Mike. Um, and there's also this G League team that's got all the top prospects from high school, so they don't have to deal with the NCAA on it. And you know, hopefully that there's hopefully there's some G League teams that are still going to operate, so that this team has games to play against, so we can uh, scout these players effectively, um, and so they can get paid. You know, um, I think the NBA cares about that a lot. Yeah. So it's almost like the NBA is losing more. And the and the players on the cusp are losing more than, you know, certain players who are on two way contracts with the big club. You know, that's important comp- competition for the NCAA that I think the NBA wants to take advantage of. Yep. Anything else, Josh, about nope. preseason predictions? Let's do it. About, you don't want to talk about the the settlers of Catan wars and who's won how many games between Williams and Nesmith? Oh God, and no. Players. Okay, moving on. So. Uh, We have some predictions. Uh, Let's assume a 72-game season, which I kind of – I would not be surprised if we didn't get that many. But let's assume 72 games. What do you think the Celtics' record is going to be? 44 wins, baby. That's what I'm predicting. We had 48 wins last year out of 72 games again. Um, I predict – yeah. You want me to go seeds? Mike, how many wins? Forty-four and twenty-eight, Josh. Yeah, you do the math. Forty-four and twenty-eight. That sounds pretty good, actually. Um, I'm gonna. What is what is the percentage on that? (laughs) Guys, guys, guys. (laughs) I'm I'm I I like I like forty-four. I like forty-four. I'm gonna go with you, Josh. I'm I'm right there with you. So I'm expecting I'm that forty and I'm saying forty and thirty-two. Yeah, I was expecting I, I, I based on the here. doom and gloom of the last podcast with you two. I expected you guys thought we'd be way worse than we were this past year. What gives? I don't think uh, I was doom and gloom. I think Adam was doom and gloom. Adam was like literally on on the brink. Um, I, I I I feel like I was more level. I think the team is going to definitely take a step back from last season, but. But, you, you know, 44 wins on a 72-game season um, is, a, is a minor step back. But they're still good. They're a good team. 
I, there's a, an article by Arjun Balaraman on Boston's youth conundrum on, on Celtics blog, currently on the front page. Arhun. He echoed a lot of... Arhun? Arhun. Thank you. Uh, are you sure about that? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so I, uh, he echoed a lot of what I shared on uh, the last podcast, basically that this team is so young. I, I think he said that they would be the youngest team to ever reach the finals. You just don't win with young teams, even in the regular season. So uh, they still have a ton of talent. They, you know, other than losing Gordon Hayward, um, they're a similar team to last year. I do like the coming around on the Tristan Thompson fit, um, but injuries are going to play a role. It looks like this season, and uh, so forty and thirty-two is still a good season. That to me places them as a fifth seed in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Where do you guys see them at the end of the, the regular season? Wait, fifth seed behind who? Well, we can get Behind. into that. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to pull that up. You, go, you guys go ahead. I've got them as a fourth seed. Um, and Mike? I have them as a fifth seed as well. Whoa. So I, I've got Milwaukee ahead of them. I've got Miami ahead of them. I've got Philadelphia ahead of them. And I have Brooklyn ahead of them. And then I've got I, Boston, and then Toronto, Indiana. I mean, it's not in a specific order, but I think Toronto, Indiana, um, and then I think Orlando and Atlanta will be fighting for the last. Maybe Charlotte will be fighting for the last couple seats. So I think I have exactly the same as you, Adam. You said Milwaukee one, Miami two. Is that what you said? It's. I mean, I I didn't really I, I didn't think thoroughly about who was going to. I, Milwaukee's definitely one, but I didn't think through like yeah. is Miami going to be better than Philly or or Brooklyn? I think right. Brooklyn's going to take a big leap. I think Philly is going to do a lot better, and I think Miami they they've got their core still together. I think they're going to develop well. I think Bam is like Bam is going to be one of the better players in the NBA. He's going to get a lot of media attention as a result. I, um, yeah. So hang, I on, hang think, on, Mike, Adam, okay. I got exactly the same as you. I, I've got that Miami, Philly, Brooklyn trio kind of in this in this second tier category, and I see two of those threes being uh, two of those three teams being ahead of the Celtics. One of those is going to break, and the Celtics are going to be right there to to be in the fourth seed. Mike, are we well, on the selling so, Toronto, Josh? No, no, they surprised me this year. Okay. <laughs> no. Josh and, and I are in agreement. We can go into yeah. let's let's break down each of these teams in a minute if you yeah, guys well, don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's get in, let's get into that a little bit and into what uh, is underlying our our seating. But Adam, I I have the same teams ahead. Um, I think Brooklyn is, uh, and this pains me so much, but I think Brooklyn is going to be flirting with the top seed. If because, and I say this because the reports coming out about KD is allegedly he looks amazing and like the athleticism and ba- is back and all of that stuff. And if that's true, they're going to be right there neck and neck, I think with, um, with Milwaukee. And what's going to be really annoying is that Kyrie's going to decide that he'll show up because KD is there and playing at an elite level. I mean, Kyrie is, still gonna, Kyrie is still going to do all sorts of things that are going to be insane and corrosive to a team dynamic. And, but I think yeah. I think it's not going to matter. Enough. I think they're still going to be good at like I, it's going to it's going to it's going to be awful. It's going to suck so much as a Celtics fan. Um, Mike, that, that, that's Mike, my you fear. Said it's not going to matter enough. You almost said enough, and I'm like, yeah, it is going to matter, and I can't tell how much it's going to matter. Yeah, I don't think it, right. I think, well, I, I mean, thinking look, like, well, like the Cavs were great. The 
the he Cavs really well. Great. They did exactly. pretty well. But the Celtics didn't have a better player than him. True. Like they didn't have a Durant. Like that's the th- like he he was he worked or the team functioned enough in Cleveland because they had an undeniably greater player than him. And that's what they have with Durant. There's no one Is in it- the world that's you know, worth talking to that believes Kyrie Irving is a better basketball player than Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, but it's not just a matter of having the better player. That better player has to be an alpha. Whose team is this? Is it Kyrie's team or is it KD's team? It's, well, th- that's definitely going to be a problem. Guys, but that's, what, that's where now. the enough comes in. I that. agree. I agree. We're going down the wormhole. So anyway, I think Brooklyn's going to be flirting with with the one seed i think they'll probably be two i think milwaukee will be a regular season you know star again and and have issues in the playoffs i think philly is going to be really good i would put them number three i think miami uh, a strong four i actually don't agree with your take on bam i i'm sure his game will continue to evolve but i don't i don't think he's going to be like he's an extremely dynamic and kind of problematic player or or like he presents challenges, but I don't, I don't see him getting into that upper, upper echelon of players in the league, like in, in the top five or top 10 conversation. I see him as being like a top 15, top 20, which is obviously super, super, super good, but I don't know. Maybe I'm selling him short. I just, I just don't see his offensive game becoming kind of varied enough. Um, from a from a shooting and shot creation perspective i don't think he needs to be though i think miami if their young guys continue to improve then they'll continue to improve but i agree mike with you i don't i think overall i don't see miami being that much better than they were last year remember they were a fifth seed this past year if i remember correctly they lost crowder who was a big piece for them and and played out of his mind way better than i ever would have thought at his age and stage in his career um but they added precious achua and avery bradley and to me, like those two guys, they don't move the needle for me, you know, skill wise no, I... for next year. And then they have Olinick, Myers, Leonard, and Iguodala on the books for forty-seven million next year. And I, I just don't know if that's the best use of their money. Say that, say you... that triumvirate again. Kelly Olinick, <laughs> Myers, Leonard, and Andre Iguodala. Forty-seven no, the big million. Three. The big three. The <laughs> the South Beach big three. It just how does that not hamper them at some point here? So you know, uh, unless they're trading those this guys is next, for James Harden next year or this year? This year. This year, yeah. That's who cares. Who cares in terms of salary? They will have enough salary cap space to sign a. Uh, you know, who who knows who might be on the market next year? And they they've been preparing for that. That'll be fine. Yeah, I just don't know what they've done besides playing well in the playoffs, which is a lot. I don't know what they've done to to really get better from that team that we saw in the playoffs this year. I mean, guys, yeah. I think Tyler Hero will get better. I, I think uh, I think he'll start. I think um, I think Bam. I mean, Bam wants to be one of the best centers ever, best big man ever. I think he has definitely room to grow. He works really hard. Mike, if he becomes top 15 in the league, I think that probably puts him ahead of uh, Jimmy Butler as the best player on that team. And I, I kind of see that kind of a switch happening this year. And in you terms of Philly... Yeah, let's go to Philly. I mean, this they... Uh, Daryl Morey came in, and, and in some sense, he reorganized the roster in a way that removes a lot some of the sense. problem from in last every year. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he removed uh, the problems, but he didn't necessarily make them ready to win right now, in my opinion. 
Well, Ben Simmons was injured a lot of last year. You still have this issue with can Simmons and Embiid play together? Can Embiid actually stay in shape for an entire season? Uh, they've got a really concerning injury histories, both of them now. So, I mean, there's some concerns there, but the fact that they can have a more balanced roster, they have three-point shooting, which is what you need around both of those players. They're both dominant. Uh, I think, especially in the regular season, they're going to play really well. And um, I think, I mean, Moray and uh, and Doc Rivers is going to have an impact on them as well. So, yeah. So, they- I, I mean, they were... Josh, you were right. Miami was a fifth seed last year. Philadelphia was a sixth seed. I, I see them as top three. Nah, no way. I one of those. I think both of those teams are, are you know, candidates to to break in a similar way to <laughs> to the Nets. I think Philly. They added Seth Curry. You know, they added some rookies who could, well, one rookie who could shoot um, as a second round pick. But I mean, Seth Curry is is huge for them. But I just don't see Tobias Harris. I mean, they're hoping that Tobias Harris has a year like he like his best year, which was also under Doc Rivers again. But Shake limit Shake Milton is limited as your starting point guard. You know, they added uh, Terrence Ferguson and Dwight Howard. They don't move the needle for me. The Tyrese Maxey pick is going to be good in two three years, but you know, right now he's just a driver who can't shoot. They got Teo Maladon. They got Paul Reed and Isaiah shoot. Joe. So they got a bunch of really young guys. Um. Don't they have um, um, Danny Green? Yeah, they got Danny Green, who's in my opinion is cooked. They got Justin Anderson. Who who do you want to rely on here after after the two main guys they have? And, and I don't Harris know. I and mean, Thibel look and at Curry. The- Hold on, Harris, Thibel, Curry around those two main guys. Now you got to trust Danny Green, Justin Anderson, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott. I think that's shaking a lineup. I don't know. A lineup of Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That is a, a very, very, very potent lineup. I don't know yeah. how many five-man lineups make more sense to me in the NBA. Period. And like, I wish that lineup defensively can match up to... No, you don't. Korkmaz sucks. You no, no, Kork- you Korkmaz, He's better no, than the bench we have. Adam, I, I, No. That's that's not true. I, and the the bench we have is feels worse than it is because of injuries right now. Our, our bench for the first month is going to be thin, absolutely. But when Walker gets back right. and when Langford gets back, our bench is going to be good enough. <laughs> it's not going to be great, but it's going to be good enough. Go on, go on. So so wait. So Josh, I have a question for you. So. It sounds like you have basically like Milwaukee kind of by itself at the one seed and then like a four team kind of mush that yep. includes Brooklyn, Miami, Philly, and Boston. Yep. And you just think Boston is going to kind of fall into third out of that mush. Yep. Okay. Just I know. I think, Boston's, I think Boston's going to be fourth. I think two. I mean, three, third, third out of those four teams. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so Milwaukee, then those four teams in some order, and you think, yeah, okay. So, looking at mo- like needle moving things that happened in, in the Eastern Conference, like the the Miami losing Crowder and adding Achua and Bradley, like I, that doesn't move the needle. Like Philly and their additions, to me, it's more addition by subtraction. We'll see what kind of impact that has. Um, for the Raptors, 
you know, they got Aaron Baines and Malachi Flynn, but they lost Ibaka and Gasol. You know, those guys really held things together. And I think age is going to start to be a factor with the Raptors because Lowry turns 35 in March. So Siakam and Van Vliet are really going to have to, you know, play out of their mind to keep that team in it. Like, I just don't see the Pacers. They got Cassius Stanley from Duke, but not much changed. You know, Oladipo. Yeah, I mean, for the for the Pacers, it depends on Oladipo. Exactly. Like, if he returns to all NBA form, it's a and and he fits with Brogdon, which they never kind of got to figure out last year. You know, it's a yeah, very different conversation. Him. But even and they don't trade him. Even with the Pacers at full strength and full Oladipo, I don't know if they're a top two team in the East. You know, I, I don't think they get higher than that group the Celtics are in right now. So I'm no, not, I agree with that. I'm not really afraid of these other teams. Um, and I kind of, Mike, I, I'm wondering if I can have a moment here with my brother. I, I think, Adam, I think you need a little talking to with your 40 win prediction, bro. I think uh, you, you are saying they're going to be fourth. And then, and we're talking about all these teams that are improving. You've got, should we, should we get a safety Brooklyn. word before you guys get really into it? Or is this going to be okay? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> like, I need to make my case. Maybe I need to change my opinion that they're going to be third because I think that, you know, the, I think that they're going to be on the level they were at this year. I don't think that yeah. they're going to be any worse, and and I need to, I just need to let you know, like there's there's things that they, that this team has on their side right now. Number one, the most important one is their playoff experience. Like, I went down the list here. This team has 458 games of playoff experience on the court. That's I I went down. I broke down everybody's playing experience in the playoffs. Um, I removed all the DNPs or inactive stuff. Um, and we're at 458. Our guys have 279 starts in the playoffs, right? Because if you look at it, like Marcus Smart, he's played 73 playoff games going back five years now. Jalen Brown's played 63 playoff games, 41 starts. Tatum, 45 games, all starts. You know, Kemba's got 28 games. Even Tyson Ojale have played 21 and 36 games respectively in the playoffs. The, the top guy most experienced in the playoffs on our team is Tristan Thompson with 81 games. Jeff Teague, 71 games, right? So if you look at a lineup of Kemba, Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Tristan Thompson, that's like our most experienced playoff lineup, they've won 155 playoff games. That's legit for any contender, let alone you know one of the youngest teams of that group. Um, Did you compare that to the other teams you're talking about in the East? No, not fully, but... You know, we've been with the amount that we've been in the playoffs over the last four years. I know it's, you know, if not the same, then better than all these guys. You know, Milwaukee has got experience. Yeah, Brooklyn has two guys with experience. Philly's got experience. Miami's now got experience. Toronto's got experience. Philly doesn't have the same amount of experience. Philly does not have the same amount of experience. Uh, And, and the only two that I think would be at this level would are Milwaukee, us, and um, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Well, Toronto. I mean, Miami did just make the finals, but yeah, he said Toronto. No, Miami just said beat us in the playoffs. How can you not include Miami in that conversation? And Toronto won the championship last year and then lost to us this year. They they have more experience than us, I would say. But I, I, I think with a, with a team like Miami – so. If you look at the playoffs, and, and this is what I think is important about the Celtics, there were two big weaknesses in our team that were exposed in the playoffs. One was the lack of a big that could defend someone like Bam. Two was not enough 
strong, consistent, threatening shooting from the outside to scare teams away from throwing a zone or to just destroy a zone when it, when it got thrown at us. Um, and a third, which was related specifically to uh, Hayward's injury, was if we weren't going to beat him with consistent outside shooting, then we needed someone that was like a really high-level quick decision maker that could get inside the teeth of the zone and break it down and get, get the zone kind of in rotation to open up easier shots. So I think we've addressed number one for sure with Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. I, uh-huh. I, I, I hope you're coming around on that, Adam, because he is I unequivocally uh, someone that addresses that gap in our big man, big man uh, defending capability. Um, on number two, the, the jury's out. Jeff Teague. We'll see if Neesmith. Jeff Teague is definitely not our answer on oh. shooting. Uh, not on shooting. No, I like Jeff can get Teague. Into the he can, teeth he's the number three. He can get into the teeth of the defense. Gotcha. For sure. But but not but not on shooting. On shooting, Jeff Teague is not the answer. We've Neesmith, addressed all three of those, Mike. Neesmith, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I Neesmith and Pritchard were both good shooters in college, as we saw with with Carson Edwards last year. Just because someone's a good shooter in college doesn't mean they're going to be a sh- good shooter, especially as a rookie. So we'll see. Hopefully, we address those that issue. And then number three is getting into the teeth of the defense. Jeff Teague is a better option than Brad Wanamaker against those types of zone for sure. Um, he's still not my first choice. Like I, I, I still would prefer not. You know, he's not going to be as effective as Hayward there. I actually think Grant Williams could become more of a solution there. I think he's a good height. I think he's got extremely high basketball IQ, can make quick decision-making. I'm hoping if he gets more opportunity, he can be an effective kind of guy that pops into the middle of a zone and makes a right read really quickly uh, to get the zone, to kind of stress stress the zone. Um, and if we can break a zone, we had like the one of the best, if not the best, offenses against a man defense last year because both Kemba uh, when healthy and Tatum and Marcus Smart, actually all three, um, I, I was listening to uh, on the Dunked On podcast with Jared Weiss who, and they were doing the Boston season outlook. Jared Weiss was noting all three of those guys were in the top 10 uh, in pick and roll offense as a primary ball handler. No other team had like two guys in the top 20 wow. or more than two guys in the top 20. Mm-hmm. So we are elite, elite running a pick and roll offense against man defense which is why toronto junked it up against us and milwaukee junked it up against us if we can break if we have solved our issues against zone then we are an extraordinarily tough team right and the concern is that you know hayward was a guy who helped us against zone because of his iq but i think having everybody fall into their proper roles where everyone knows okay jalen jason Kemba, Marcus, it's it's your world now. You got to get into the teeth of defense. You got to be the one in the middle of the zone. You got to be the, the decision maker. We're all looking at you now. Like it's not all of us looking around who's going to do it. It's you guys know you got to step up, and we got all these shooters around you now for for when you can create off of that. Um, so I, I actually think that defined roles will help with us against the zone, um, and obviously going through that and playing against that and watching the film of that and seeing what we could do better is is going to help too, just, you know, maturity and experience wise for our young guys. So Mike, I agree with, with a lot of what you said. 
and and I'm going back to what you said on a previous podcast that this is very clearly an evaluative yes. season for the Celtics. Um, and the the issue for me is that we are all we already are seeing injury issues that are going to limit what is already a young and shallow roster. So even guys like Daniel Tice, uh, he's had injuries in the past. Tristan, Tristan Thompson has missed like a third of the games of the last three seasons. Now it's easier to miss games when you're on a bad team and you're not going to win anything. But, yeah, uh, he's not somebody that has that has been an Iron Man recently. Um, and and I'm I'm skeptical about this Kemba situation as we have already discussed. So I mean, if, if everybody were healthy, I would have no problem saying 48 games, three seed again, something like that. Um, but I we're not the only team with injury issues. Like uh-huh. Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles injury. Kyrie Irving misses a game if someone sneezes near him. Like, <laughs> I mean, you yeah, know, Philly, other teams are going to sure. have injury issues as well. I agree, um, but I but but I think we are less healthy than a lot of other teams coming into the season. Uh, like we, we already know, Kemba, who is a top three player on this team, who we really need to be healthy, is, in my opinion, just not going to be at full strength for at least the first half of this season, uh, possibly longer. So I, I have concerns about, major concerns about depth, which I think impacts winning in the regular season. So like I said, if they were fully healthy, I'd have no problem saying 48 wins, but I'm saying 40 and 32 uh, for three reasons. One is health. Two is is uh, that the the front office is very, very obviously saying we don't think we're a championship team this year. And instead of trying to come into the season with as much veteran help in the rotation as possible, we're actually going to lean towards our young on our, our young players to play meaningful minutes in the regular season and possibly in the postseason. And they're going to see what the, what the regular season looks like at the trade deadline in terms of whether they, they actually think they need to add people to help this team in the playoffs, or if they just don't have a great shot this year, this is like uh, that think- shocked me. I, I really came in, you know, we spent the whole off season talking about how uh, I did talking about how I wanted them to improve because they were so close to a championship last year and that did not happen. They went the opposite direction. But I, I think you're mischaracterizing the, the reason that the Celtics are in an evaluative mode because the Celtics were ready and willing and and thought that if they retained Gordon Hayward, which was, I believe, genuinely their primary priority, yep. yeah. they would be a championship contender. But they they determined that once he decided he didn't want to be here, which is effectively what happened, there was not there were not options available to enable the Celtics to get realistically into that championship contender mode right away. And then the, then they kind of switched their approach, went to getting under the luxury tax and are allowing the first couple of months of the season to be evaluative. So I don't, I don't think they, they, they weren't proactively saying, let's look at our team. Oh, we're definitely not a championship contender. They were a little bit held captive by Gordon Hayward and his decision. And they re- I think they really wanted to keep him. <laughs> and they thought our ceiling is higher with him on the roster. And I'm sure if you asked, if you gave Danny Ainge truth serum, he'd say, yeah, I don't think we're right now as, as constructed a championship contender. I feel like you're making my point for me. How does that change the, um, the, an, our analysis of what the regular season record is going to be? Because 
I don't. I think you can be better than forty and thirty-two and not be a championship contender. So that's guys, what I'm saying. They're going to be. <laughs> I'm saying I think you can be better than that and still not be a championship contender. And still not be. I see. Okay. I, I. I. mean, the teams that have the most continuity in the Eastern Conference right now is Mo. Yeah, I would put Milwaukee in that group. Milwaukee, the Heat, and us. Everybody else has all this shakeup going on, and. I think that con- you know we have 17 roster spots, only four guys who are new. I think of those four guys, we have addressed the three issues Mike brought up of someone to get into the teeth of the defense, someone to guard the bigger centers, and shooting off the bench. I think that we're in a really good position to do exactly what we did la- as last year, potentially. You know, I'm predicting 44 games. If thinking you guys are going to like hold me to that as a bet or something, but I have no problem saying we're. I was with you. I said 44 last- sounds right. But I'm I got with you. I- I got no problem saying that we're going to win 48 games again and be just as good as we were last year. I think that there's a world where we're better than we were last year as well, just because of continuity. I think that in you know throughout the, the course of a season like this is about to be, continuity is more important than ever. And you know I think that the Celtics have fully defined themselves as the team with the high intellect and high academic and high character um, culture and and that they're going to rely on culture and continuity to you know to 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 win basketball games throughout the season and when you look at what's possible there of how things could go wrong there's just so many more ways things could could go wrong i think with philly with uh you know the other teams towards the top besides the ones with continuity i will so i'm changing my answer we're gonna be third and we're gonna win 48 games Hey. I I I I I I love you talking yourself into a lather and just revising this up as we go. I I look forward to in 15 minutes you saying we're going to be at 52 and 20. Um, <laughs> very excited for that. Uh, and and number one in the East. Um, I'm here for it. No, but I I actually I fully agree with. Um, you know, I think the roster continuity is important. I actually think it's it's a bit secondary to the other thing you said, which is the culture and the kind of organizational stability. And I, you know, when you look at the COVID situation uh, going on right now, and you you think about, you know, my my dog really is concerned about this as well. Um, when you look at the landscape of the the league and how how many play you know how much volatility there's probably going to be on rosters um team you know just general team dynamics and kind of changeover if you have an organization where kind of the management structure has been in place for many years people kind of know how to operate with one another um all those dynamics you think of somewhere like philly like daryl Morey's coming in they don't have kind of that established track record working together. I think that type of stuff is going to actually matter and come into play quite a lot this year. So I really, I do agree with what you were saying, Josh. Um, I, th- yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I don't know how many wins it'll ultimately net, but I do agree that it's probably worth a couple. And you know what continuity does for, for players, especially like young players who are potential stars who are on the rise, you know, not like what Toronto has. Toronto's on the decline. We're on the incline. What it does is it, it creates maturity. It creates more opportunities for player development and for people like Jason Tatum to maybe, I don't know, be in the MVP conversation. All right. Let's, before we get to that, I just want to ask you guys, 
the first 20 games of the season, what record do you think the Celtics will have? Have you seen who we're playing the first three, four games? No, I haven't. I have no idea what the schedule is. <laughs> you want me to tell first you? First 20 games. Yeah. yeah. The first three are pretty steep. Yeah. Let's look at the schedule here real quick. Where is this? Here we go. Um, we're, playing the, we're playing Philly first in a week on Tuesday. We're playing the Nets in our second preseason game. Well, that's pre- our preseason. First, I know it's preseason. Our first game of the regular season is against the Bucks. Then we play the Nets again right after playing them in the preseason, right? So let's, let's assume Kyrie's not playing in the preseason game. We're going to play in the regular season, right? Then we play the Pacers twice. We play the Grizzlies, who I don't think are going to be you know, sl- uh, slackers in this game. And then we play the, the Pistons tri- twice, right? So we get a little respite before going right back and playing Raptors, Heat, Wizards, Heat, right? So it's, we got some tough games here to start out. I wouldn't be surprised if we're 500 in our first 10 games, but after 20 games, I think you'll start to see the record look more like it's going to look towards the end of the season. Because I, I think we're going to be a 500 team in the first 20 games, and that's part of why I, I said that we'd be 40 and 32. Because a, a, a plus eight in the final, whatever, 52 games is solid. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Mike, thoughts on that, on the first 20 games? Um, I, I, I would, I would guess Um, like 12 and eight, but I'd have to do a slightly closer look at the schedule. And I just want to say, I completely agree with both of you about continuity for this season. It's going to matter more than any other season, maybe in NBA history. And that just says how much I think that youth (laughs) is a problem on this team. Well, the average age of our team is 24. Right, twenty four and a half. You just twenty four and a half. You know players. what the average age is for the entire NBA? It's twenty six point one. Uh huh. And the teams that do well tend to be like twenty eight. That's just a fact. That's just like you just. I, I just. That's how. That's how much that matters to me. All right, Josh. You mentioned that you think Tatum could have a leap potentially in this season and be in the MVP conversation. So let me ask you guys: Where do you rank Tatum in the MVP race this year? And let me just say for context, last year, Tatum got one, count it, one total point in the MVP race. He was... He was 10th. Number 12. 12, okay. Yep. So where do you think he ranks this year? Mike? Before I give my answer on the number, I just want to say I went into this exercise thinking that Tatum could sneak into the top five. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and really, really, really excited about that prospect and like talking myself into the with, you know, with Kemba down, because I think I thought the Celtics could end up like 12 and eight or so in the first 20 games, maybe even a little better. Um, and, and Tatum would get the lion's share of the credit if if they started off really strong amidst these injuries at the at the early going. But then I started doing some historical comparisons, and and just for fun, I I compared Tatum against some of the truly truly elite players um, early in their career, so like LeBron and Kobe and Durant, because those are the types of guys that get into the top five in the MVP race in their first three or four seasons. And let me just say that the advanced statistical profiles of those players and Tatum was very different, even at this early stage, or maybe especially at this early stage. Um, So I'm less bullish on Tatum's MVP chances this year. I think he could be uh, in the top 10 
I think maybe number eight, number seven, uh, but no higher. So let me give you guys the 2019-2020 voting results for MVP. Number one was Giannis. Number two was LeBron James. Number three was James Harden. Four, Luka Doncic. Five, Kawhi Leonard. Six, Anthony Davis. Seven, Chris Paul. Eight, Dame Lillard. Nine, Joe Kick. Ten, Pascal Siakam. Eleven, Jimmy Butler. Twelve, Jason Tatum. I think next year you still have Giannis, LeBron, Luka, and Anthony Davis ahead of Jason Tatum. Just, just to begin with, Kevin Durant, I think, is going to be in that conversation. I think Kawhi Leonard will be in that conversation. You know, who knows about some of these others? Dame Lillard, that Portland team, I think, is, is better because they, uh, they got the wing, whose name I can't remember again. So uh, where, do you have, where do you have Tatum? Robert Covington. Tatum, Robert Covington. I have Tatum at seven. Um, so, and, and I think that's solid. Uh, Josh, where do you have him again? I've got him 11. I feel like, you know, with the guys you mentioned, Giannis, LeBron, AD, Luka, Durant, Steph, that's six right there. That Then you got Kawhi, Dame, Jokic, Embiid, that's 10. I think he's outside of that group. Um, I, if, if he's in the 7 to 10 range for MVP voting, I think we're lucky. And I don't get that. And I still think that we're, you know, going to win a lot of games. And, and it's possible that he may not get some attention in the like, national media, no? No, because I've got him. That's I've a, got him seventh with a forty and thirty-two record. If you've got him winning forty-eight games or more, and and with a third-place finish again, he's definitely in that conversation. Yeah, and I think Mike. Tatum's kind of like a national media darling, or or has a potential to become. I unlike most you know stars that we've grown up with, certainly Antoine Walker uh, was never a national media darling, and and Paul Pierce wasn't either. Um, not until really late in his career. Um, but I think Tatum kind of has like a polish. He's, he's kind of grown up and, and prepped himself both on the court and off the court for like all of this brand management stuff. His mom was a lawyer and I think she was in like sports marketing, um, and media engagement, something like that. Um, so I think he's really primed to kind of, you know, MVP is a heavily narrative driven, uh, award. I think people like Kawhi who, has kind of just doesn't have a lot of favor with the media, right? He he had that like fun guy campaign, and that was his pinnacle of like media media uh, grace. Um, and I think after the way the the Clippers collapsed, he's kind of I think he's lost that. I don't think there's going to be a lot of narrative behind him. Someone like Dame, people love him, but unless the the Trailblazers are like pushing the Lakers for the one seed, I just I feel like they've kind of reach their ceiling. I just don't think there's like a new narrative thrust. I think Tatum is going to have a secondary version version of what Luka Doncic is going to have, right? Doncic wow. is, is probably going to be like in the, the top three, top five this year. Cause he's like, you know, supernatural. Um, and he's new and shiny. And I think Tatum is a little bit of that new and shiny. That's what I mean yeah, by Tatum thought. getting a secondary, a secondary kind of version of what Doncic is going to have. But I, I don't think he's going to be at the same level. But I, I think that's going to push him further up into the conversation than you're giving him credit. So I still think he's going to be like top seven, like I said, or like in around seven or eight, but um, better than eleven. You saw it a little bit last year when Tatum had a, a really good month when Kemba went down and LeBron called him a problem. 
there was a ton of media attention. I, I, I think you're going to see that for the entire year. But Josh, it sounds like there's players that we're not even thinking about that you think are going to be in this conversation. Yeah, like Steph and Durant, like players who didn't play last year. <laughs> I forgot about Steph. Uh, but what about like, uh, I mean, I know you love Donovan Mitchell or other players like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Tatum's like the top of that next generation list. Like you, you got to consider Donovan Mitchell um, and, and uh, the guard for the Nuggets, uh, Jamal Murray, in that conversation. And, you know, who knows if Zion is going to end up in that conversation just because of public opinion. You know, so there's there's just so many guys. I feel like we have not seen the love for Tatum yet. And I don't. I think that when what do you mean we haven't young, seen the love for Tatum? What does listen, that mean? It means that he got one vote for the MVP race last year. You know, he these young guys uh, they need Tatum needs one more year of playoff experience to warrant the, being in the conversation. Like this year, he's going to get more playoff experience, and if he shows out in the playoffs, then next year, yeah, I can see him. You know, being in the top five or being in the top seven or really being in the conversation. You know, but I think that he needs one more year of seasoning and playoff experience to, to, to make that happen. That's usually how it goes with young guys: is you got to show out in the playoffs, and then the following year, then you're you're going to be in the conversation. But I didn't, I don't see Tatum as as someone who really did that for us. He was consistently one of the better players in the first three quarters of all the games, and in the fourth quarter, and when it really mattered, you know, he he wasn't always there. Mike, yeah, do you I want don't to handle this. Well, I, I I don't know if we're thinking on the same wavelength here, Adam. But uh, so, <laughs> um, but but I, I would just say that I don't I don't think it's another season of like playoff seasoning or another year of playoff seasoning that Tatum needs. I think what what's going to be different about this year is that he's going into the season, especially with Kemba's injury. But even if Kemba is healthy, probably as unequivocally the guy on the Celtics. So it shines a different light. I'd also say him getting one MVP vote last year is kind of getting some love from someone. Sure. I don't know who that was. I, Cause I think it was with, you know, I, that one vote is a bit anomalous and a little outrageous. Like he clearly wasn't the MVP last year and shouldn't have been. Um, and I don't really know how he even got a vote, but the fact that he got one is, is a bit of love. So this year he's going to be the guy over the course of the playoffs last year, he showed an increasing ability to be a primary playmaker, uh, and creator for other players on the team. Something that really was not a strong skill set for most of his first two and a half seasons on the team. So the combination of Kemba being out and him showing that growth and that skill set, um, you know, positions him to have a chance of really kind of showing some real, real strength as the guy for the Celtics over the first, you know, four to six weeks of the season while, uh, until Kemba returns. And if the Celtics start strong and then can carry that out, I think he's going to get higher in that conversation than you're giving it credit for. I still don't think he'll be end up top five. I, I definitely don't think he'll end up like top three or something crazy like that. Um, if he did somehow, then all of a sudden we're like legit contenders this year. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Josh, let me, let me remind you the Jason Tatum narrative coming into last year versus this year. Mm -hmm. Last year, it was a guy that really surprised in his rookie year and then had an off year in his second year. And we're not sure 
what's going to happen here, but he's on a team with a loaded with talent, unclear if he's the number one option on offense or if Kemba Walker is, and into the season, they continue with that narrative, and clearly he had worked on his game, he's making shots through contact, he's getting to the line more, but it was not until Kemba Walker went down with an injury that he really took the reins and showed what he was capable of doing and impressed people on a national scale. Now all of that's happened. He signed this huge contract. He's coming into this season as possibly the best up-and-coming, like under twenty-one player. No, he's he's behind Doncic, but like he's top three young, very young player in this league. Um, and uh, and I think the the media likes him a lot. So uh, final words, Josh. Any responses or thoughts? No, I think we're we're picking nits. You know, we're talking about whether he's going to be. Seventh or eighth or tenth or eleventh on on this list, you know. Either way, he's not really one of the main guys being talked about to potentially win the award. And I don't think this coming year is going to be any different. Um, yeah. What's, I, it, what's important? Order, what's important about that is that I think we're probably all in agreement that the Celtics are real outsiders for a championship. So those nits are what we have to pick right now. <laughs> about Josh, looking ahead. Do I agree with what? Do you think the Celtics, the Celtics are, are championship contenders this year? I think the Celtics are championship contenders this year. I think that we're just as good as we were last year. Yes. I feel like there's a bet that we can make, Josh, you and I, on this like regular season record or seed at the end of the year or something like that. But let me, in order for the Celtics to be exactly what you think they're going to be, Josh, they certainly need Jason Tatum to play well at a close to MVP level, whether he gets the recognition or not. They need Jalen Brown to make a leap. They need... Marcus Smart to play really well, Tristan Thompson. They need Kemba to be healthy. And they need young guys to step up. So when you think about the first or second year players on this team, who do you think is most likely to make a leap in this year or be uh, uh, the best of these first or second year guys? And I would like to add Robert Williams to this list because he is somebody that I have yet to see make a leap. Who stands out to you? Mike, can we start with you? My guy is going to be Grant Williams. I already know what Josh's answer is because I think he revealed it last time. But uh, I I really, really like Grant Williams for the situation the team is in right now. Because, you know, and I mentioned this a bit last week as in our last episode as well. I think um, Grant Williams didn't have as much opportunity to show his capability um, last season as would have been ideal. I think he's a really heady player, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, after, aside from like starting the season really poorly from three, he became a pretty solid outside shooter. He's really versatile. He improved a lot over the course of the season, as far as his ability to defend out to the perimeter. Uh, which was, is going to be really, really important for him because um, he's uh, he he always surprises me with kind of his leaping ability and timing um, around the rim, and he's he's a more effective kind of rim protector than you would think given his size. Um, I just think he's a really smart player that knows how to win and make winning plays. Um, has a year under his belt, has a play, you know, knows the playbook bring some of that continuity uh, and is going to fit and, and kind of can, can substitute some of the skill set we're losing with Hayward departing as far as like quick decision-making and passing. 
He's obviously not the ball handler. He can't, you can't run the offense through him, but he can operate a little bit out of the high post. He can operate a little bit out of the low post. He can spot up for outside shots if he, if he continues to hit shots the way he was, especially in the playoffs. Um, and I think defensively, he's going to be part of some of our best defensive lineups over the course of the season. So I'm expecting, you know, his stat line might not jump out at us. I, I don't actually expect a ton from his stats. Like he maybe he averages like eight and five, but I think he's going to really, really meaningfully contribute to, contribute to winning over the course of the season. I completely agree with Mike. You said everything that needs to be said about Grant Williams. So there's really nothing else to say. Um, what, what I did here was I looked at who do I think is going to be in the rotation or spot starters and who is totally on the outside looking in. And Taco, Javonta Green, Carson Edwards, Peyton Pritchard, and um, Tremont Waters, as well as I'll add Emil Jefferson to this just for Josh's sake, are definitely <laughs> on the outside. And in the rotation slash spot starts, you have Grant Williams. I think he's going to get the most minutes of anybody that we're talking about here. Shemi Ojale is going to get some minutes, especially early on. Ugh. Okay, fine, Brad. Robert Williams is a total crapshoot. I like. It would not surprise me if he was buried on the bench at the end of the year because he was just so inconsistent or if he was getting regular minutes and the fans were talking about, like, maybe we should start Robert Williams. And, and that uncertainty, it makes it hard for me to include him in this. I think Aaron Neesmith is going to get as much opportunity as he could possibly want. Even with Shemi Ojale, I mean, Shemi, Shemi is going to steal minutes from Aaron Neesmith, and I think it's going to drive and, and you guys and probably the entire fan base totally crazy. Um, and you know what? If, if Brad needs to do that to get Aaron Neesmith to understand what, what it takes on D, fine. But well, uh, I, I, would, I, I, I think R- Romeo Langford would, would, um, would make a run at Grant Williams as the, the answer to this question, except for his injury and the fact that he's not going to be able to shoot Still, when he comes back, because he hasn't been able to practice, makes it hard for me to include him. But I think Grant Williams, I think with, with uh, Aaron Neesmith and, and Romeo Langford as, as uh, uh, 2A and B to this list. And I would just add, this team, especially without Kemba, is going to need ball handling. Smart is great. Teague is fine. I think Tremont Waters is going to surprise some people. So he's going to be a dark horse answer to this. I think he's going to get more minutes than people think. And, uh, and, and may get some calls for people, from people to transfer him to the, the full-time roster. But um, that Pritchard-Waters thing is going to be interesting. And honestly, I have no idea what to expect from Pritchard. And I just I can't, I can't add him to this list uh, until he really shows something. So, Mike, you wanted to jump in on, on Neesmith. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, you know, you, you're talking about um, Shemi stealing minutes from Neesmith. It... It's kind of the reverse of last year because I remember over the first 20 games of last season being borderline despondent uh, about Carson Edwards continuing to get prominent rotation minutes, um, you know, in that 15 to 20 games when he had really just not shown anything. But I think that same kind of, you know, predilection by Stevens to play, to give rookies an opportunity is exactly what you're talking about with Neesmith as far as he's going to get, as you said, all the opportunity, more, more opportunity than he could even want or, or, or certainly would expect as far as, you know, getting drafted mid lottery onto a a winning team. Uh, He's, he's going to have probably 15 to 25 minutes 
uh, a game over the first 20, 20 games. And it's going to be on him to, to expand that role looking into the second, you know, the, the, the middle third and the, the final third of the season. Um, and if he can't beat out Shemi Ojale, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so Josh. we've got a group of one, two, three, four, five guys. Grant Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters. Though, all we need is two of those guys to be knockdown shooters. I'm betting that we get that. I'm betting that we get two of those guys. And that's two more than we had last year off the bench. You know, be, in a perfect world, Grant Williams is one of those guys who's shooting 40% or more. Um, but if he can just shoot league average with the amount that he's about to be playing, that's going to be huge for us. And... You know, I think that Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard can be knockdown shooters. I think that Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters can be knockdown shooters. I really believe that. Um, and and all we need is two of them to succeed. I think that's a good bet. But the guy that I'm most excited about is Romeo Lankford. I think that when he comes back, despite the ability to uh, lack of ability to shoot um, and and the fact that his injured wrist is his shooting hand, I think that he's going to come on and, and have an impact in the playoffs and be that spark plug off the bench. Um, and continue to to allow us to have the I- identity that we can play three wings at a time potentially and have a mismatch like we did with Hayward if we want to. Um, but just the fact that we're going to have more shooting and be able to space the floor more with two of those five guys, um, uh, I'm going to be like that is what is enabling us to to win the same amount of games this year as we did last year, in my opinion. Josh, you started talking and I muted myself to spare the audience and you from my size and and going, come on. Like you really, you're saying Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards, uh, Aaron Neesmith, and uh, Tremont Waters. And Tremont Waters are, are going to be knockdown shooters in this league. And you think two of them will show that this coming season. And, and that is the defining factor in in ensuring that we win games this year no 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 no. listen listen i'm not saying they're all going to be knockdown shooters i'm saying two of those five are going to be knockdown shooters i don't know which two it's going to be but i'm i'm taking that bet easy mike you do you have another thought here about the the young players making a leap yeah, I just wanted to touch on on two things that Adam said a little bit ago. One, Adam, I think that's a good point. It's a good point you made about Robert Williams. Um, it, it feels like, you know, centuries ago, but at the start of last season, he was part of our like brutally effective lineups. I, I believe he was starting to get run as our kind of primary big uh, before he got injured early in the season, like 16 games or so into the season. And then Tice just kind of totally fortified his role. So it it feels like a distant, distant memory, but um, I, I'm with you. I could see him being buried or I could see him um, emerging. And actually, you know, he has a chance, I think still, uh, it's, it's a really steep uphill to climb, but I think he has a chance to actually emerge as our best big still. Um, and and I'll be fascinated. I'm not, I'm not very bullish on it, but I'll be fascinated to see yeah if he can get there. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've it made a comment on this uh, at least once a sh- an episode for like the past few weeks. Uh, I'm as big a Tremont Waters fan and Stan as there is out there. Um, uh, but I actually disagree with what you said, Adam. I, I think that Peyton Pritchard is going to kind of have uh, the, the kind of, 
the leg up on Waters for that third point guard slot. Um, and I think his size and outside shooting are going to are going to end up kind of solidifying him, uh, coupled with kind of the weird quirks of the two way agreement um, and the limitations that puts on Tremont's time. I just what you know may, maybe Tremont will beat him out. I love so much about Tremont's game, his passing, his his kind of just feel for the game. Um, but you know his size limitations are are limitations. Uh, so I I think Pritchard will will probably get the edge there. So I was going to ask if they were the same type of player or type of contract, who do you think would have the leg up? You mean a type of contract specifically? If they were both first round draft picks or they both have the similar type, I mean, you got to give Pritchard a leg up because you got him for four years and you can, it's so easy to get rid of uh, Tremont. But if, if they had the same type of like opportunity contract with the team, who do you think I, would actually get? I think Nets? if the team, I think if the team thought that Tremont waters was unequivocally better or not even unequivocally was just better then they wouldn't have probably picked who was the top of their point guard board in that late first round pick knowing Kemba's injury, right? Like they, they made that pick knowing Kemba wasn't going to be available because they wanted a polished point guard option at the end of their rotation. And through that lens, I think it would still be Pritchard. I hope they're I think right. for the for the team. It, I think it, for the team, it would be Pritchard. Even I love Tremont's game. I want to see him get opportunity, but I think I think they prefer. My guess is that they prefer Pritchard. But uh, or game. or they just wanted a camp battle, and and we'll see. Yep. On on the Robert Williams front, I I I think Danny Ainge came into last season knowing that they were weak in terms of depth in that position, and I think he said, you know what, I think Robert Williams has a good shot to come in here and and uh, play a, a role that he just didn't last year. And I'd be so curious to see what they think at this point. And I'm not sure what the Tristan Thompson signing. I don't know if that says anything about that or not, but all right. All right, last, last thing here on the Celtics Pride podcast. We got to give a shout out to our favorite guy in the entire world. The main man, the legend, Larry Bird. Happy Bird Day. Yesterday was Larry Bird's birthday. Uh, we wish him well. And uh, with that, we're out.